Hello, and welcome to the Hidden Archives. I'm your host for the evening, Nicole Clark. This episode marks the second to last before the end of our regular season. However, we do plan on releasing various forms of content between seasons. This may include flash fiction, behind-the-scenes looks, experimental stories, and discussions, amongst other things. Let us know if there's anything specific you would like to hear, or if you have questions that you would like answered. Please be sure to follow, message, like, and rate us wherever you find our podcast, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hidden Archives Podcast and on Twitter at Podcast Hidden. To quote George Orwell, if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. So, before you hear anything you do not want to, I suggest you consider this warning. If you choose to enter the hidden archives, if you choose to study the tomes, if you choose to take this journey with me, you do so at your own risk. Profanity and disturbing content will follow. This is your warning. For many people, the world of our dreams is a welcome escape from the horrors of reality. This means that a condition like insomnia can be a barrier from ending up where we are happy and relaxed. But consider the idea of a condition that is the opposite of insomnia. Consider what happens when your dreams are indistinguishable from reality. Consider what this might mean. Consider the possibilities. I have to get it right this time. No more mistakes, no more follies, no more wrong turns. I don't want to be trapped here anymore. I can't take it. And so help me if it resets again, or if the scene cuts again, I'm gonna lose it. How could such a maze even exist? This labyrinth can't be reality. I have no control here. I can't cut any quarters or draw any maps. And the clues are always different. But one thing remains the same, the layout. Through trial and error, and a little bit of luck, I've figured out the general path. Well, I figured out most of it, I think. I guess that's part of the point of a maze, that you don't know how much further you have left until you walk out of it. But I know I've gotten pretty far because the further I go, the more the landscape changes. It always starts out the same way as a classic corn maze. From the start, I go straight, passing the first two options to turn, then the path dead ends at a fork. From here, I have to take the fork to the right. At the end of this trail is a puzzle to solve that unlocks an iron gate. The first puzzle, like all the other clues, is always different every time I repeat the maze. Granted, it's always a logic puzzle. Like, which is the proper shape if this one is rotated in a specific way? Or what's the next number in the sequence? This is actually what it was the first time. What number comes next? Classic Fibonacci sequence. That was the solution. But it didn't start at the beginning. Instead, it started at 34. And the solution was 233. 
I still don't know how I got through that first puzzle on my first try. Once I go through the Iron Gate, the corn maze continues through five more turns and straights, and two more puzzles, or clues, until the final Iron Gate. When I pass through this gate, the scenery changes to a hedge maze. But the maze is distinctly different. In the corn part, it feels like late summer, with high heat and heavy humidity. But the hedge part is always deep winter. I can see my breath. I feel the sweat on my brow freeze. I always sweat profusely in the weather of the corn maze. And there's snow on the ground. The snow's the worst part of the hedge maze. It piles up in drifts and can obscure the path. I've had to start counting paces to make sure I don't miss turns. 166 paces past the iron gate, then turn right. 23 paces after the first turn, turn left, and so on. The difficult part here is that there are turns extremely close together, like doors down a long corridor. If I take the left, that is 27 paces, for example, then it resets. But I don't get puzzles in the hedge maze. Thank God, because I've messed up puzzles in the corn maze that I've solved on the previous run-through. No, the only clues that I get in the hedge maze are my footprints. Not only do they show me where I just came from, but they're still there from every attempt before. The only issue with this, why I can't just follow them, is because I've been through this part so many times before that there are thousands of footprints. Which ones were mistakes and which ones are the proper path? But I only needed to solve this part once. So when there are very few footprints, I know I'm near the end of the hedge. The hedge maze then opens up into a vast orchard of cherry trees in bloom. This is where I find myself now. It must be spring with all the flowers and petals everywhere. But this is part of the problem. This is how it's a maze. Everything looks the same. I have tried beelining it straight through, only to find myself back at the entrance of the corn maze where the scene cuts again. So there are turns that I have to take, and there are clues that help me figure this out. But the clues here are more subtle. I have to pay attention to the wind. If it shifts direction, then I have to turn right then and there and go where it blows. If I don't, you know. However, there isn't always a wind gust or breeze. Sometimes it's still. But when this is the case, I have to keep moving and hope that I don't move too fast lest I hit a wall. If I go too slow, however, then it counts as hitting a wall. And God forbid there's ever a whirlwind. This has only happened twice to me that I remember. The first time it happened, I stood still. Stupid mistake. The second time, I whirled with it. And you can probably guess how that worked out. I don't know what to do if there's a third time. Guess I'll just 
have to be prudent and make a choice. But right now, the wind is at my back. I think I almost have this part solved. If so, I believe there's only one more section, one more environment, which has to be autumn. Lord only knows what I'll find there. But I think I just screwed up anyway, so I guess I won't find out on this run. There's the iron gate, back to the corn, and cut to the next scene. Damn it! How did I screw it up this time? When the scene cuts, it isn't always into the next sequential possibility. The possibilities are always the same ones, but there's never any order as to which comes next. I think they're dreams. I think these are dreams. And maybe one is reality, but I really don't know. I just have to go through each possibility as if it were the real thing. In one, I'm a world leader. I feel like me, just as I do in the maze possibility, but how I handle the conflict is different. In this possibility, the conflict itself takes the form of a conflict of justice. Again, it's always the same situation, and there's a choice that I'll have to make. But if I make the wrong one, then it resets and I'm on to the next possibility. The last time I went through the world leader possibility, I'll be honest, I really made a mess of things. But I thought I was making a solid decision. It's just difficult with the situation being what it is. My nation is on the brink of civil war. There is one group of people that has risen up in an attempt to seize power. You could call them radical, but they don't see themselves this way. Their motives are to restore our nation to its original founding values, and they've challenged my authority. However, I'm a democratically elected leader. I should know I ran my own campaign. I remember this. I remember many things leading up to every possibility or dream or whatever. That's what makes it so hard to tell what's happening. There's always a clear lead-up but I've been through every possibility so many times that my actual memory is muddled and cloudy. So, just like with the others, I must treat this one as real. I must provide fair and righteous leadership to my people. But that gets really difficult to do from a bunker, where I almost always find myself before I screwed up. Almost always. Last time, I was actually able to avoid the bunker. I was on the verge of brokering peace by approaching the issue from a purely logical angle. I kept the facts as facts, let people have opinions, let them discuss their opinions peacefully, responded with resources, and didn't demonize anyone. But it was all a distraction as, apparently, a coup was in the works, and everything fell apart. 
Shots were fired. Weapons of mass destruction were mobilized against the most oppressed of my people. The scene reset, and I cut to the next possibility. Maybe I need to solve this problem from the bunker. Maybe I need to let the people realize their own justice, while I quietly support them from the security of my position. But this doesn't seem right. I am my people's leader, a leader to all. They need to have someone they can see and count on, even if they only use me as a target, as a, as a punching bag. If they take their frustrations out on me, then maybe they'll get it out of their system before they attack each other. But this is literally the weight of the world. If I fail my nation, then other nations will get involved and the world will spiral into war. It isn't isolated. It is an issue of social justice, and one that I can never seem to solve no matter how many chances I get at it. Another possibility, as I've been calling these dreams, is one where I'm running through a forest. This is one where I'm glad to not find myself at the moment. That one terrifies me. It is dark and there's always something chasing me. Some unseen foe. I can never seem to outrun it. Or at least it always seems to catch me. In this possibility, I find myself starting near a campfire. I feel the warmth of the flames, smell the burning of hickory wood, and taste the fiery sweet oakiness of whiskey on my tongue. It always starts off so nice, so peaceful. I'm about to douse the fire when the wind shifts and the smoke from the fire blows into my eyes. Partially blinded by the stinging smoke, I use the sleeve of my flannel to wipe at my eyes. However, I have to take off my glasses to do so. Just before I put them back on, through the remaining tears, I catch a glimpse of two glowing eyes, or what I believe to be eyes. So I hastily throw my glasses back on my nose, fumbling the temples over my ears. They sit askew for a moment while I look around with newly restored vision. My glasses sit slightly at an angle, as I haven't taken time to get them to sit right. Even so, with the world looking much clearer, though slightly distorted, I see nothing. Was it just fireflies from the campfire? Perhaps it was the campfire itself as seen refracted through my tears with no correction. No. No, this couldn't be it. How do I know? Because there's a new smell in the air. No longer do I just smell hickory and ash and the woody burn of the whiskey. I smell something foul like rotten meat, like a wet dog. I smell something primitive and animalistic, 
something that sustains its own life by taking life from others. Then leaves rustle and twigs snap. There are claws scraping over rocks and logs. It's charging at me. This is where my autonomy kicks in. This is where it all starts. I'm faced with a choice. Do I run? Or do I stay by the safety and light of the fire? Obviously, I run. I need to put space between me and it. A couple of times, I've tried mustering the fortitude to stay near the fire. I've sat perfectly still, playing dead. I've grabbed a flaming log from the fire, and I've smashed the bottom of the whiskey bottle to use as weapons. But this always leads to the same conclusion. I miss the advance of the monster, and I'm mauled from behind. I never get a good look at whatever the hell it is, even in the light of the fire. So, instead, I run. But this isn't a move of cowardice. It is one of courage. I confront my fear by charging into uncertainty. I know that, if I'm running from the beast, I'll need to utilize every bit of strength and endurance within me to put as much distance between me and it as I can. But, as you've already figured out, it always gets me. I can run for a while, but eventually, I feel a bite to the neck bringing me down, or a claw dragged along my gut, or my feet pulled out from under me. God, I wish it ended here. Cut and seen. But no. No, I have to go through every moment of torment and agony until I bleed out or it snaps my neck. I feel every bite, every stab of a claw, every breath of hot steam. I feel flesh ripped from muscle, eyes gouged from sockets, scalp pulled from skull, and joints pulled from sockets. I smell my own blood mixed with the leaves and detritus of the forest floor. I smell my intestines ripped from my gut and split open. And I smell bile from a lacerated liver that is eaten straight from my body cavity. It doesn't matter how the beast attacks me. I hear my bones splinter. I hear the chewing of the beast on my flesh and muscle and fat. I hear it slurping my bodily fluids that run freely from open wounds and a loose bladder. I taste it, too. There's the taste of iron in my mouth from my own blood. Or maybe it's the taste of my fractured fillings as the beast crushes my jaw and teeth with its own. And on that note, I taste its saliva in my own mouth, and I taste its bloodlust as it devours me alive. I taste, feel, smell, and hear everything. But I never see the beast. I never see anything once I'm past my campfire. It's a dark and moonless night. The canopy of the trees is too dense to even let any stars shine through. Summoning the fortitude to face any of this is a feat I can barely muster. But I have to do it. The braver I am, the longer I last. Eventually, I figure I might be able to outrun the beast. 
unless I resolve one of the other possibilities first. One thing that has prolonged my life in this possibility is that I've figured out which cardinal direction to run. If I run west, I last almost twice as long as any other direction. But once I figured this out, I just kept doing it. I've been running west so long that I don't know if I've just gotten good at outrunning the beast or if running west is actually right. Maybe I'll try running another direction next time if I end up in this predicament again. Maybe I won't have to deal with this horror anymore. Maybe, as terrifying as it is, this solution is the one to end all the nightmares. Maybe. For now, though, the scene is cut to a different possibility. At the moment, I find myself as a rich playboy. It's a welcome respite to the other horrors, and a fortunate sanctuary from the maze that I just came from and will have to go back to. Here, I have the world at my fingertips. Anything can be mine at a moment's notice, which comparatively speaking, as a far cry better than the options and the other possibilities. However, therein lies the problem. Anything, everything, can be mine. When I'm here, not only do I have it all, but I want it all. How about fast cars? Well, I've got one for every day of the month. A nice place to live? Kiddo, name a country and I'll set you up there. What if I fancy travel? Fret not. A concierge and chauffeur in at least a hundred countries have me on a first-name basis. If I were so inclined, I could charter a boat to Antarctica tomorrow. Yeah, it's pretty nice. So how could I possibly screw this one up? I've been asking myself this. I've been through these possibilities, all four of them, more times than I care to count. I've lost count. Something's got to give, right? Well, yeah, it always does. Just like the other three possibilities, this one has a catch. This one has a riddle to solve. Yes... I could have anything I wanted. Who's going to bat an eye if I break a law here? Even if someone does care, I could just pay someone else off and get out of it. I have distinct memories of doing just that. So I could race a supercar down the interstate. I could do designer drugs with celebrity elites. I could kill a sommelier for splashing wine on the sleeve of my shirt cuff. I could kill a man just for the fun of it. And I would face absolutely no consequences. But would I do any of these things? No. What if this is not a dream 
If not, that would make me a pretty horrible person. I can't do these things. I don't want to. But here's the catch. If I indulge in any vice, it resets and goes back to the start. And I mean any vice. When I'm here, I have to live a life of absolute restraint, moderation, and self-control. Would it make me a bad person to lose my temper a little bit, or smoke a cigarette, break the speed limit by even one mile per hour, or have a fucking cup of caffeinated coffee? No. But when I'm here, if I let loose even a little bit, then it's back to the cornfield with me, or the forest, or the goddamn bunker. The crazy part is that I've lasted longer here than in any of the other possibilities. I've made it six months as a world leader. I've made it almost through the third part of the maze, and I've run probably four miles from the beast. Pathetic. I've made it two years in this possibility. Two fucking years. Who lasts for two years in a fucking dream? Me. Just me. Let's see you abstain from caffeine for two fucking years. And that's the thing. That's the horror. What little thing is going to send everything back? Is it indulging to bend down to tie my shoe? What about enjoying a nice haircut? Is something as simple as saying shit when I stub my little toe on the door jam going to get me a round trip ticket back to the military bunker because I lost a little control? I had a human outburst, and I didn't practice perfect temperance? I have to live my life on eggshells here. I walk a fine line in fear of something sending me away. But this is my life. Why can't I just live it? If this is reality, then I deserve this. Why can't I buy an expensive drink, a nice shirt, or kiss a cute guy in the moment of heated passion? I deserve this. I earn this. This is mine. It's my reward for the hell that I go through in the other three possibilities. This one can't be hell. Everything is right in front of me and I can't fucking touch it. Not unless I want it all to go away. And there it is. That little outburst, it... Never mind. At least the whiskey's good. And God, I do love the smell of hickory. I wonder if he ever solved the problems in his dreams. I also wonder, since they are dreams, how we even ended up with this story. Unlike other shows out there, we want you to sleep. So we'd like to thank you for joining us this week as we explored the world of dreams. 
The next episode should be posted in two weeks. There are many more stories from the hidden archives that have yet to be shared. We hope that you join us next time for another Glimpse Within. This has been a production of the Rhodes Collaborative Experience, LLC. Please know reproduction, duplication, or bastardization of any content without written consent from RCX or its partners. Ex Animo, Ex Tempus, and Archivum.